This episode is brought to you by the insurance agent I use for my own business, Doug Lynch, and his broker, Tracy Deerfelt, with the Nationwide Contractors Alliance. In the last year, I got to know Doug and Tracy as they were consulting for me on some questions I had for my own company. And after more than a decade in the business, I can confidently say I didn't even understand half the equation when it comes to general liability insurance. I'm confident, actually, that very few builders do. I had some big gaps in my understanding and even more in my coverage. Now, this is a risk-heavy business, and you can't leave everything you've built, no pun intended, to chance. Make sure you have good protection. Make sure you have reliable protection, and make sure the agents you work with have your back. Doug and Tracy are by far the best I've found in the business, or I wouldn't use them myself. They assessed my particular business, built me a customized plan around it, and now, of course, I sleep better at night as a result. Visit douglaslynch.com and nwcalliance.com to learn more about how insurance and other solutions can really work for builders. All right, welcome to the Building Optimal podcast. As you notice, uh, this isn't your regular host, Jared Gossett. This is uh, his friend and uh, business partner, Jose Luis Guerra. And uh, the reason I'm hosting today is I uh, wanted to pin down Jared and and, and kind of get his story on here because I don't think uh, a lot of you have heard it from start to finish or, or at least a good chunk of it of how he ended up here and his building career. And I think it's a very interesting story. He's a very interesting guy. I've learned a lot from him. And so um, he's our guest today, your regular host, uh, Jared <laughs> Gossett. How's it going, Jerry? What's up, man? All good. It was a little, a little weird. It being is. on the other side of this mic right, for right. once, but yeah. it's actually nice. All the all the hard work's on you. That's right. I, I'm going to ask all the hard questions, uh, hopefully, anyways. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. Uh, there's not a lot of hard questions because uh, I think you have a great story to tell, and and plus, people want to hear your voice. They don't want to hear mine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, why don't we uh, back up and kind of give a little background as to how how you got in the building. Um, yeah, and I, I'm not a builder for the record, so I might ask some questions that um, uh, a non-builder would ask. So <laughs> bear right. with me, but we'll roll with it. Yeah, but it's probably good for a lot of newbies out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, let's get going. I guess what, where, where did you come yeah. from? <laughs> um, well, so I, uh, I started out after I, I actually didn't plan to become a, a builder. It's something that just happened. Uh, believe it or not. And it was one of those uh, things that has been an amazing uh, accident that happened in my life. But, uh, you know, I, I started out actually uh, wanting to be an investment banker, a hedge fund manager. I had dreams of going up to Wall Street. And actually, um, that's how I started. So my first gig out of out of college was working uh, for B of A, Bank of America, in their investment banking division. We're, we're um, financing casinos and things like that across the country and in Vegas. And a lot of that, that this was back in mm, 2006, I guess. Okay. And a lot of uh, what was happening at that time were huge 
construction projects. We're financing a lot of big construction projects in Vegas, like billion dollar type type things. And so, um, so let me let me pause for you a second. Well, first of all, it sounds like you're the the reluctant hero, who uh, are reluctant superhero rather. Uh, I don't <laughs> you know got bit that. by the spider, the building spider, and yeah. turned into building spider-man uh, yeah. but talk a little bit about what what is the finance world what does that mean you're talking about billion dollar deals it's yeah. such a huge number what, yeah yeah take me through that a little bit of what that experience is like um and maybe even what takeaways you got from that business that you were able to apply for building yeah well so i think that was really my first um foray into how exciting it is to actually create something from from scratch and uh, granted these were gigantic developments but learned a lot about the the financing side of how construction projects are, are built and financed not so much the nuts and bolts of construction itself because that wasn't really part of it but where does the money come from where does exactly. it move how do you even get a billion dollar loan yeah that sort of stuff exactly so um did that for a short while then got recruited away by um a real estate private equity group that was just focused on development projects across the country. And so then I got a lot more deeply involved in um, aspects of mainly commercial real estate development. We actually um, financed a few um, luxury home builders across the country. And that was, for me, I had a great time going and meeting those guys and seeing their projects and walking through. And I was a complete novice at the time, but you know, I, would always dreamed about working for myself. I actually had, when I was growing up, I had a few of my own, my own businesses. Um, and I, I remember walking these guys' job sites and thinking, man, this is pretty cool. Like this feels a little bit more achievable to me to break away and start my own home building business than, than to go start a huge commercial development firm when I'm, you know, 27 years old, it just felt a little bit more, uh, achievable. Okay. And, and so, uh, those seeds started getting planted around that time. And you got, so you got a little bit of the behind the scenes, on the books and the finances of all these businesses uh, or all these developers and builders. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what that looked like and kind of uh, any eye-opening takeaways you got from that? Yeah, uh, probably more than we can fit into an hour episode. Oh, yeah, but sure. well, um, We can come back later. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so this was, this was around 08. I actually joined that firm like two months before I think the official recession was announced. That's so it was a pretty, timing, yeah. Yeah, so it was pretty nerve wracking. And a lot of our developers were, were um, definitely not the highest credit rated type type guys. So it was a lot of turmoil that we, that we saw. Um, I think some of the biggest takeaways from, from my end was um, the guys who made it in that, in that, uh, time period were the ones that were the true pros and the experts at what they were doing. Um, so I, I saw that as, you know, the, the people who were the top, the top performers in their niche, whether it was a hotel developer or a luxury home builder or whatever, were the guys that tended to have more options to maneuver and were able to get out. Uh, so that was definitely one of the things that was pretty consistent across the board was that the, the best of breeds were surviving. Um, do you feel like they, uh, and this is a bit of a tangent, they came out of the recession better than when they went in one, because of maybe there's 
fewer competitors or two because they just made it through the lean times they were better prepared for uh the boom times um what are your thoughts yeah. on that um you know i think they some of them might have come out better i think uh, i think in a way probably so because there were some amazing investment opportunities that emerged um i think everybody came out different that's for for certain and I think it was probably an opportunity to really dive deep for a lot of people to try to figure out uh, who they were and what they really wanted their business to be about. So I think a lot of people redefined themselves in that time and hopefully for the better. Um, you know, the other thing that I, I saw a lot of these, uh, the, one of the big differences between those who made it and those who didn't was uh, the way they structured their deal. Now, this was this is what I was focused on, you know, on the, on the money side, on the financial side, but those who truly knew how to structure their finances and structure their projects and get good leverage, get good lenders, not necessarily the, you know, the most expensive hard money lenders and, uh, use appropriate leverage. So, you know, not too little, not too much. Is and, there a bit of a art and a science to that? Yeah. I, I think it's both. I think it's both. There's, there's not a, you know, business school professors across the world debate this all the time and build models, which, you know, right. whenever there are a lot of models, that means that there's probably not a real clear, clear yeah. answer. <laughs> um, so I think that, uh, that was one of the big defining factors between success and failure were the guys that not only were best at what they do, but knew how to best structure their projects and their, and their business to always have a little bit of breathing room, a runway because things are going to happen. There's a huge amount of creativity on the finance side mm -hmm. when you really boil it down. Uh, when you're talking about deals that level and, and even on single family deals, I, I imagine there is, yeah. Um, yeah. but it sounds like this was a great base you built up. And, um, so I guess let, let's come back, uh, let me kind of bring you back in because this isn't uh, about necessarily finance. But now that you say that you can talk about finance for a long time, I'd like to come back and yeah, <laughs> address yeah. just that. Yeah. Because I uh, I think it's important for all business owners to understand the finance side. It's such a huge part that um, <clears throat> we don't get a lot of training in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's get back to. So you met some of these, uh, were there luxury home builders? What, what yeah. kind of got you most excited? Is it just your creative, uh, genes were flowing or like, Oh, I can build yeah. something beautiful and, 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 you know, get my hands dirty and, and have a tangible product. And I under, already understand the finance side, which is huge. So let, let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I walking through those amazing, we're walking homes in Highland park, which is arguably the nicest neighborhood of, of Dallas. And then also in, um, memorial in houston i specifically remember those those areas and we actually had some out in california what are the price points well. of these homes oh man this was oh, this back. was 10 years ago i'm getting old i'm trying to remember <laughs> this was maybe like uh you know i don't know they were probably three million dollar type price point homes okay so still uh significant even in today's dollars yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and they were amazing homes and i hadn't walked through a ton of homes of that price point at that point in my life and i think that was just pretty impressive for me to walk through and, and realize, see the craftsmanship that goes into these homes and the cool. creativity that goes into them. I've always been interested in kind of the design and creative aspect of different things I've gotten involved in. So I probably re that resonated with me. 
Um, but yeah, I saw it and just thought, man, this is, this is pretty cool what these guys are doing. So that's kind of interesting, uh, a comment you just made that you love the uh, the craftsmanship and the creative side, but you're also just as excited about the finance part, which we just talked about, which is yeah. a very interesting blend. I, I personally, um, uh, people I encounter don't tend to uh, combine those two. They usually lean one way or the other with with all aspects of business and whatnot. So, yeah. so that's pretty exciting. Um, so, where did you go from there? You, you saw these homes. Was there any particular builder you kind of leaned on or, or kind of, uh, helped out, or you took little bits and pieces from all of them and then kind of maybe take that into your first build from there. Yeah. Well, so the, the path from there to, uh, uh, actually becoming a builder was still, still a little circuitous. We, we, uh, um, I was in Dallas at the time through all this and then recession hit. We, our company was just in shambles. The one I was working for. And I wasn't, I, I was, my pay was tied to success of projects and then that was a disaster. Kind so, of hard to be a commission salesperson during a recession. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so I, uh, what I ended up doing was looking for exit options and I started, uh, and this is actually where you and I met. So this was over, I guess, 10 years ago now. Yeah. Um, I knew Austin, having seen all the markets and having projects and markets across the country, I, uh, I knew Austin was one of the best places to put food on the table at the time, just because there's still a lot of immigration here from other states, especially California at that time. Even 10 years ago, now it's through the roof. Yeah, yeah. And and so I uh, said, you know what, Austin seems like a good place from like a macroeconomic perspective to make this make this work. So you took a very analytical approach yeah. to where you were going to be a builder. Yeah. And, and then, uh, but I still, f I, I needed a little more coaching on how to do it. And this was, this was at the time. So remember, like you think about Oh nine, the buzzwords around that time were, you know, REOs and, and short sales, short sales, foreclosures, like bulk REO packages and purchases from banks and, and so I had a little bit of more of that mentality at that time. And I, I took a course from, um, a real estate investor and expert here in town, just a weekend course on, on like how to flip. Cause I didn't, I didn't really understand that side of things. And, um, anyway, so that's, uh, that's where you and I met, but, uh, I did that and I spent, uh, a few months after that, really trying to become, do some flips. And I did a few flips. Um, and anyway, long story short, um, I realized that those, those flips were really su very successful flips. Um, what, uh, can you kind of quantify that a little? Yeah. So I, I'm trying to remember now, I mean, but it was like, it was, it was like, you know, they were smaller purchases and stuff, but it was yeah, the price like, points were obviously, uh, kind of hard to fathom at this point 10 years down the road i think but one was like 170,000. i think we, i can't remember what i bought it for but you know we ended up selling it for around 170 and i probably put like 30,000 into it and more than doubled my money i think maybe put 30,000 in and like four months later had it flipped and sold and had like a 40k profit or something nice something That's like awesome. that um and then the other one was maybe a little smaller but kind of similar metrics and so I got all excited and energized. And off of that, I moved down here. 
So left my my post. So you were in working Dallas, remotely from Dallas, doing these flips. The here. Yeah. And and for anybody not from the area, uh, Dallas is about a three and a half hour drive uh, yeah. north of Austin, uh, depending on uh, how much of a lead foot you have. Yeah. <laughs> so we we came down here and quit my post after after those early successes and said, okay, this is. And anyway, cool. I. I spent the next three or four months like really hunting for for projects down here uh, more opportunities and i couldn't find any good ones so i kind of hit this panic mode i was like yeah you oh, already crap burnt, like you sank and burned the boats <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there's no way back <laughs> yeah so i was like wow did i just somehow completely miss on my thesis you know did i like um make the worst decision of my life so i truly had like this uh this moment of panic um and thought, all right, maybe lightning struck twice on those two projects. I got lucky. <laughs> and then that's when uh, this guy came into my life who's become a good friend, a realtor, who said, hey, I've got this this cowboy, more like metaphorically, this, this kind of cowboy out of the back of his truck type builder who's just... Uh, still going right now everybody else is too scared to build right now uh -huh. but this guy is doing it and he's actually selling these houses and i want you to meet him because if you like what he's doing we can definitely go find you like a few lots here in central austin buy a tear down house tear it down and then build something new and this guy yeah. might be willing to mentor you you pay him a fee and so i said I said, all right, let's, let's, I mean, I was desperate. So, yeah. you know, I talked to him and, uh, anyway, that was, that's how it all started. I said, you know what? Yeah, this is, this looks like a pretty good, a pretty good opportunity right now. I like kind of going against the grain when nobody else is really building. It seems like there's yeah. good opportunity. So let's do it. I've, I've been around it enough to know that I love home building, you know, from what I've seen. So let's let's give this a shot. And that's kind of how I stumbled into it. That's kind of interesting, because if, uh, you know, if you would have gotten more flips in your pipeline, um, the being a builder might have gotten delayed even further. It sounds like you were kind of like you said earlier, forced into it, but yeah. uh, in a very lucky sort of way. Since yeah. That was your calling without really knowing at the time. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, and, um, and I'm a marketer kind of, uh, by trade or whatnot. Uh, I, I have, I guess I should have said this earlier. I have, I flipped a few houses right around the time, uh, Jared did as well. And then I shifted gears into uh, more marketing, internet marketing, just because of, uh, uh, the time between paychecks and flips at the time of the downturn or whatnot. And so, yeah, it's, it's just a law of kind of large numbers. You get a couple of deals, especially in the, in the flip world at that time, it's kind of shifted now. Uh, it might even be a little more challenging uh, to make the numbers work. Um, but yeah, you don't, you're not going to get deals all the time. And um, for your experience, folks, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but just throwing it out there for the newbies that it is a lot of large numbers, the more offers you make on, on those kind of deals, uh, uh, the more likely you are to find one. Um, but that's just a little bit of a tangent. So now here we are, uh, you, you met a builder and you're kind of more building rather than uh, fix and flip type stuff. Uh, let's talk about the, that early phase there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I jumped off into my first project, this guy, I, I paid him a fee, probably a lot, a lot less than, uh, uh, the value that I received at the time. And, uh, he, he mentored me through that first house and that first project. 
And uh, so you were your own GC. I was my own GC with the help of this guy. You know, he gave okay. me, I think, his Rolodex of trades and all that kind of stuff. But he, he, it was pretty hands off. And so I made every mistake in the book. You know, because I, yes. my first, <laughs> my first house, I made every mistake in the book. I mean, probably one of the biggest mistakes I made, the lesson that stuck with me forever is, you know, I was just trying to cut, get the, the cheapest. So I would go get three bids yeah, and then I would pick the, I'll give you an example. I had three painting bids and I picked the cheapest painter. And, and they use water. It was just oh, it was just <laughs> garbage. It was it was garbage. You could see all the all the seams. Oh, nice. You could see the you know the tape through the paint. So anyway, it was just horrendous. And uh, I had to then go pay that. Yeah, that was probably his strategy. You know, I had to. Um, I paid him for like half a coat of paint <laughs> and I had to pay him to come back and it was to still horrible. Do the so, job, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, that was kind of my foray into, uh, learning that you get what you pay for. Absolutely. You know? And there's, there's, there's not a free lunch. Um, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, I probably, that first project I've made, I made it okay profit on it well that's good um, and all those lessons and you still came yeah. out making some money that's always a win i mean i think i probably let's just say i probably made like a four percent net profit margin on it when if i yeah. made a few other decisions i probably could have made a 10 you okay. know so i but that was my that was the cost of my home building mba yeah my tuition course. you know and then anyway i did the same thing i think two other times using this guy as a mentor and the houses were selling by the time I had finished them, and, and I realized this was in, it, in the downturn. Like yeah, this was on the downturn. This was as we were kind of coming out of the downturn. 09, so 10. At this point, it was like kind of 2010. Let's say this okay. was 2010. So we were coming out of the downturn. Realized that I was on to something and that this could be scaled. Cool. So, um, and I, I was, you know, and I was 28 at the time. I didn't have that much money saved up. I could only do one or two houses yeah, at the sense. time. So I, uh, uh, partnered with, uh, with a guy who, um, he and his dad came in and started investing, uh, in some of these projects alongside me. And, and we got to talk and said, you know what, let's, let's partner on this and, and try to grow this, grow this thing. We can be the, you know, and again, that was, wasn't even 30. So I had big ambitions of having my name all over the, you know, billboards yeah, across absolutely. the country within two or three Two or three years yeah, having like homes a, in like every a cheesy city. Realtor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> having homes in every city and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so a little clueless, a little, you know, overly am ambitious. And, but, you know, we both were. And, and actually, we started building. And I think by uh, a, like a year after we'd partnered up, we had the Austin Home Builder of the Year Award. Um, so people were really liking oh, what wow. we did. Yeah, we, so we, we like kind of skyrocketed. We had home builder of the year. In this 20, was your first year? This was a, like a, probably a year and a half. Prior year and second a half year. Yeah. Wow. Well, so 18 mm -hmm. months in, you and your business partner, home builder of the year. How many yeah. houses are you building? Kind of what price point? And when I say price point, I guess let me back up. How many times median price point were you, or were you right around that median, or we, so twice I mean, but, median? I think that makes more sense for people in different markets rather than yeah. The no, we we were still a little. We we're still kind of a luxury product even at okay. that time, even though it's not not like what we do now. 
Um, but we were definitely, you know, so the first few homes we were doing are probably in the four to $500,000 price Which range. Which is probably, uh, at the time, two, two and a half times the median exactly. price point. Yeah. Just to give you guys an idea. So if you're, uh, you know, in a different market, um, kind of run the numbers that way. Yeah. Localize it. These were all, these were all urban infill homes in good locations too. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I think in 2010, I did probably three homes and then grew so fast. Probably 2011, we we're up to probably closer to 10. I mean, so we right. tripled, tripled our volume in a year. And again, there, there weren't many builders doing homes in, in doing. Austin. So I think I, I, I don't have data to support this. I don't think the data probably exists, but I bet somewhere between kind of 2011 and 2014, we were one of the top, if not the top home builders in in urban austin yeah in central austin um so there's a strategy volume. on how to be the best builder is uh if you're the only one <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly if you can go if you can go be yeah. the only guy in well, a market well and that speaks to kind of your contrarian approach you were taking and um being in the market when everybody else was afraid to be in the market. And, you know, it does help to be a, a little, um, a little green, um, of yeah. course, just, uh, you know, as I have been and other friends of ours have been in different businesses, but, um, being a little contrarian is a bit of the takeaway and, and, and kind of yeah. going against the grain. And, uh, and even I remember at the time your strategy was going, for central Austin, central parts of the city, they were maybe a little more neglected, but great areas, great access to pretty yeah. much the whole city. And uh, so you saw a little bit of the trend there. So that's something to keep in mind for everybody else, I think, in their markets. And if they see trends, um, obviously the growth really worldwide is, is, is a lot higher than it was 10 years ago, but we're going to get to kind of the modern market. Um, I just yeah. wanted to get that. Yeah. Well, and I want to clarify that, um, we weren't the only, I mean, oh, of course Austin, not. I, that was a joke. I knew you weren't the only, yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. but, but that said there was, you know, right now Austin probably has a thousand people remodeling or, or building. And it was, it was a fraction of what we, what we have, yep. what we have now. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to take anything away from any of, any of our listeners who were here in Austin building oh, with course. me at that time. <laughs> Of course, but, yeah. but it was the, the it was a small fraternity of us. That's for sure. Yeah, and and Jerry is a very humble guy for you listeners out there. Um, he is uh, really good at what he does, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be his hype man here a little bit, but he's gonna downplay it. But that's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll let him. Well, um, so at this phase, you're a year and a half in. You got a, a local award, which you know awards are great, but ultimately. Uh, you, you need the business to, to stay afloat and, and, and keep making money. Yeah. So where did you take it from there? You're a year or two in, two and a half in. Did you keep with this strategy for a while Yeah. as a builder? Um, you stay with that trend. Talk about that phase after the initial phase, if you don't mind. Yeah. So we, we, kept, uh, we kept growing in volume, and that was really our goal. Our goal was top-line growth, which I'm not saying is a, is a bad strategy, but it's definitely one that needs to be be uh really carefully monitored sure and we didn't know that you know so that's some of my advice to my my former self but uh <laughs> yeah i would say that uh we were focused probably too much on top line growth sure um and but we achieved it we definitely achieved that yeah. goal and we were growing in terms of both the number of homes uh sales volume and then also sales sales price uh we continued moving up into more expensive markets 
So um, you start going into the three, four times the median price point? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and then from there, um, this was... So by the time we hit this, Austin, Austin is a pretty difficult regulatory environment. And so by this time, we had a ton of overhead. You know, we had a bunch of employees. Yeah. And then when he says the regulatory environment for Texas, it is um, probably compared to a lot of other cities, but maybe not as much as, you know, California, New York and whatnot. Just for a point of reference, throwing it out there. That's very true. Um, In Texas, yeah, it's probably probably one of the most, if not the most difficult in Texas, but regulatory in terms of permitting. And, And that, what we realized, again, being young business owners is that uh whenever you got a lot of mouths to feed you um you need consistency of cash flow coming in and we had we had the projects that wasn't the issue but part of what we started struggling with was the the uh the timing of those projects so um a lot of our permits that we were relying on were getting um delayed by the city of Austin. There was this really uh, well-known period, I think in uh, probably 2014, where it was like six months to get a permit. Wow. Um, and that this just, is a, you'd already acquired the lot at this point. Yeah, we had the projects ready to go. We just couldn't get the permits. And so therefore we couldn't get the project going and the, and the fees from the project and the cash flow. And so we really started struggling for, for a short period. And we started looking for uh, uh, alternatives about how we could better, uh, how we could better grow. And we actually went and hired some really high paid consultants that are fantastic consultants. And we learned a lot from them um, and spent, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on these guys. And um, they helped a lot. But one of the things we did is we ended up going into a, a, secondary market about an hour away from Austin that was growing and had a bunch of more production, but kind of like semi custom production builders called this, the city's called New Braunfels. So we went down to New Braunfels and saw it as kind of like the early days down there. And we thought, okay, no, you know, this looks nice because we don't have to worry about six months delay, six month delays. We can throw up homes down here and all that. Now here, here's the, the issue. And, and I'll tie this into, into the story, but we, uh, um, we loved our, our, our ethos, like our, our passion was for our city, for Austin, for the urban kind of urban living, urban lifestyle. That's what we, we loved. Um, you know, yeah. we're, we're not, we're not guys that live in subdivisions, nothing, you know, again, nothing against it, but it's just not our lifestyle. So our passion was what we were already doing. And we went out to New Braunfels and it was not that interesting to us. It was more just a decision based on, okay, well, you know, this, this seems like it could be a good business decision, but not really. And we really don't want to be driving down here an hour, several days a week you know, and, and doing homes that are, that are, that are okay homes, but they're not as cool as our homes up here because we're having to compete against these semi-production builders. And you you compete against the national track home builders basically at that point. And you're, are you in the, like right in the median price range at this point? No, these were still, these were still still at a premium. Yeah. You were still at a premium. Like a two X or. Yeah. I say a two X, two X median price point. So these were like the communities that we were building in down there were luxury, 
luxury home communities, but luxury home communities in a lot of relatively speaking in a lot of the subdivisions where we were building down there was still, uh, not the same as we were used to down here. It was a pretty big step down in terms of quality and craftsmanship. And just because you had to make the numbers work, you weren't fulfilling kind of your creative needs and your ethos, as you said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, we got into that and did that um, help the cash flow situation. And did, did, you, did you stay in the market in Austin while you did that? Yeah, we were still in Austin, okay. but we were really filling the gaps and using this as a potential jumping point to, again, we were super ambitious at the, at the time and thinking we were going to really, really grow, um, a huge, a huge company. And we, we did, we grew, we grew a bunch. Uh, we had a bunch of projects down there, but, um, we started running into problems just because we, it goes back to, uh, it wasn't fun for us. We did not like what we were doing. I didn't, I, I, um, didn't like putting my name on a house that I wasn't super excited about and really believed in that much. I didn't like having to market something as great craftsmanship when all it was as good, if not better than all of the competing homes down there. Probably a lot better just from what I've seen of even your work at that point. Yeah, it it was, it was, they were still good homes compared to the competition, but I didn't believe that, you know, again, you still had to do something to, uh, you still had to make a profit and, the requirements of the market down there at the time were such to where the type of stuff we felt we wanted to put in and our best from a philosophical standpoint would not make us a return. We experimented right. and it didn't work. So we had to cut our level and our specs. And I, uh, just kind of started losing ourselves. Like, you know, uh, so we, we ended up pulling out of that because it, it got to a so you point were making where money it just wasn't what you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we weren't making, I mean, we did a few projects down there where we tried to put in the specs that we more that we wanted and those didn't make sense. And so we thought, mm-hmm. okay, we've got two options. We're either going to have to continue doing this and continue cutting our, our specs, or we're going to have to invest in this, in this gigantic educational campaign to show show people what what good craftsmanship right. truly is, You're, and that's and that's still a gamble. That's, that's a creating roll of the a dice. whole market, which from a marketing standpoint is a terrible business model. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to create a market where it just doesn't exist. It, exactly. It's and, like uh, taking a crowd of people and telling them, "Oh no, you're hungry for this particular pastry yeah. you've never had," and exactly. even though they just had hot dogs and burgers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and so we just felt like that was not not the smartest move. So we, um, uh, so we pulled back out of new Braunfels, um, and decided against continuing and pursuing that strategy and focused back on Austin at the time. So you're going back to now you're making money here. It makes business sense on paper. And despite that, you're still going for the harder option to get back to you kind of yeah. how you want to build and how That's, you want your business to be, yeah. which is, uh, which is huge. And, uh, uh, shows a lot of maturity at the time, which you were still, uh, in your twenties at that point, uh, right. Like early, you, early, early thirties. It's still yeah. kind of early in your career though. That's, it's, it's a big move. Is, yeah, I think. And, uh, but yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah. So we, um, came back to Austin and, uh, by this point, the regulatory environment had eased up a little bit and okay. things were moving a little, a little faster, which was good. But, um, 
So we, we got into a, a little bit more volume because we thought, okay, well, so we don't want to be subdivision builders. We want to be urban builders like what we have been, but we still want to grow this thing. We want to scale this thing. And, and what, what year is this? This oh. was probably 2015. Okay. So yeah. you're 2015 and you're still in the three to four times median yeah. price point. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then at that point, a lot of like kind of condos and townhomes became a lot more popular to build in Austin because uh, dirt was just getting so expensive. So we started doing a little bit more condos and like high end condos and townhomes, okay. kind of garden style homes, you know, detached for the most part type type homes. Um, and that and that went well, that, you know, that worked well. Um, but as we continued to grow, uh, I think there's probably some seeds that were planted in, in the new Braunfels experience that for me personally about uh, what I really wanted kind of my, my uh, building legacy, if that's, if that's the right word, kind of what I wanted things to look like looking back. And I realized that the, the design and the craftsmanship and all of that is really so much more important for me than than uh, top line growth and having, ha I'd rather have fewer really nice homes that I'm proud to put my name on than uh, than just a ton of uh, a ton of okay homes. Yeah, and that was still kind of the way the company was going, even though we w went to Austin, which which was understandable because we had mouths to feed. We needed more volume to how big was dick. your how big was your business uh at this point from a staff uh standpoint uh we i think we're at about 15 15 people 15 employees 15 15 employees which plus which the contractors um plus we had you know Subs, yeah. yeah probably 40 to 50 uh subcontractor vendor relationships the, the important thing to mention is that our 15 people was all that was all administration and management you know construction superintendents in other words we in austin it's pretty common to just have 100 subcontractor model so right. we had 15 people just on the administration and management side that doesn't include actual laborers that are out you're in the just, field just managing the labor and keeping yeah. track of everything because of the volume you're doing that's right and yeah so you were still following the profitable model that wasn't necessarily where you wanted to be from a craftsmanship and design standpoint. So you know how to do both. Yeah. And we'll get more into that later. Um, this is when you started leaning towards uh, your building legacy, which is very important to you and um, wanting to build at the level of design and craftsmanship you're proud of. And you were still operating from a, uh, a revenue uh, top line and, and bottom line standpoint and not getting to build what you wanted to build. Can we talk about that phase in your business and, and the transition from there? Yeah. So um, I think the seed got planted when it was, when I was still in New Braunfels, just started seeing it was probably more amplified, a little more magnified about what I, what I wanted and what I didn't out of my career at that point. And, um, so we came back to, came back to Austin and, um, I think that, you know, over those next few years, that was 2015. Um, I really made the switch to, um, just focusing on the, the higher end craftsmanship. So smaller company, 
which is what I wanted, really focus on just bottom line performance stuff that, you know, feel great putting our name on and our signature on. Uh, that was in 2017. So really moving into that really higher price point luxury home. And uh, it, it just felt like it was the right move. It felt for me, uh, I didn't care. I, you know, I built a big, a big company, a big business. And, and that's, that's great, but it just wasn't my primary motivator, my primary driver. I wanted, I wanted a smaller, more boutique company that, uh, in my opinion, can probably make just about as much money as um, the much larger standpoint. Yeah, as a much larger competitor when run really well, and and you get the added benefit of being able to do the kind of stuff, having more control over the type of product you really put out. And so this was around 2017, you made this transition. Um, obviously you had a lot of, make a lot of hard decisions and, and, and unfortunately let a lot of people go, but ultimately the other business model wasn't going to work for you in the long run. So you kind of, uh, made that change. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know as business owners, we all are forced to make those tough decisions and, uh, yeah. I hate to strum up these bad feelings, yeah. but just kind of want to throw it, it out a, there that uh, if you're in business long enough, you are going to go through a tough transition of some point, and you might even have to uh, let go of people that are your friends um, and uh, yeah. work together with for a while. Yeah, it, it was a it was a pretty difficult uh, a pretty difficult transition for everybody in our company. We did have to let go of people uh, who were. Um, longtime employees and friends. And so that was not fun at all. Even though it wasn't fun, it was the right move. You know, I, I was fortunate in that the transition I wanted to make into the new company, I had um, really the, the senior level people in our company um, who I'd worked with so long had enough faith in me um, for better or worse to, <laughs> to join me on my new, my new venture. So I was able to bring, maintain a lot of our core, core senior team and bring them along with me for the new venture. And, and we're still together right now. So this is your current business model. Um, and I'll come back to this a little later, but we went from flips to uh, picking up some infill lots and kind of dabbling in a few houses as a builder to scaling uh, that business model in the in the two to three times median price point to then shifting to a higher volume, like 2X median price point in a, a bit outside of the city to realizing that uh, that top line heavy, but not necessarily bottom line heavy, massive companies, not where you wanted to be uh, as part of your building legacy to the current business model of going high end. And, and, and what price point uh, relative to uh, median are you currently and have been at the, in the last few years? Yeah, right Right now we're probably, um, I'm gonna say we're probably about five to 10, 10 times. Five medium. to 10, so that's five uh, to 10. your buyer pool is, is very limited, very selective at this point, because you're talking multi-million yeah. dollar homes and yeah. at this point. Our, our most expensive spec home we're doing right now, we do a combination of both spec and custom, which I like just because for, few reasons um but our most expensive spec home we're doing right now is um under construction and should hit the market somewhere in the low low four millions which will be the most expensive spec home we've ever done and that's uh probably even for the market probably might be in one of the top 10 in the market 
as far as a spec home. I, I don't know. I might be wrong about that. But yeah, I, I've been curious about that myself. My guess is it is absolutely probably top top ten spec home uh, in price Austin point. from price point this year, and might very possibly probably top three or five. Wow. So that's a, a big, uh, big step. How many, what's your core team now? What's, how big is that? You were at 15 before, mostly just kind of managing all the contracts you had to deal with because of the volume you were doing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about where you are now and how, um, how that affects your, your lifestyle and uh, as a business owner and whatnot? Yeah. On the construction side, our core team, our leadership team is just, is three of us. Uh, we, so we keep it very, very small from that side right now. It's, it's me and I'm more on the, on the, uh, sales marketing and on the spec side, deal structuring side with our investors. And then we've got Brian, who's our director of construction. I've been with him for eight years now, I guess probably maybe, maybe more time flies, but probably, probably around eight. Uh, and then Lindsay Davis, who's our director of finance, um, does all of our purchasing, uh, and administration. And she's, uh, been with us for about seven, I think. And from this core team, you're able to do the same top line revenue that you did before you're at what, what are you trending for on an annual basis? Yeah, close, close to it. So with, with three, with three senior level, uh, uh, employees on payroll, me included. Yep. We're at probably, um, yeah, we're probably sitting here doing the math in my head right now. I think we're probably over the next 12 months. Yeah. Rolling 12 months doesn't have to be calendar year. Yeah. yeah. Over, over this next 12 months, we'll be probably, uh, around 15, probably a a little more than 15 million in revenue. Um, which is, which is, less than what I've done in the past. There's no, no getting around it, but sure. But in terms of the production out of the, you know, if you look at one metric, uh, to look at is your production, you know, based on different team members. And it's definitely on probably two X, two X higher to three X higher than what basis, I've been. It's really right. hard to match on what you're able to produce. In yeah. theory, if you found another three high level members, you could easily triple uh, the top line if you wanted to, but it sounds like, uh, yeah, uh, that's not the business you want. And this is currently where, where you want to be and you're at the right profitability you want. Yeah. Um, which is, was that humbling in a way to step back and realize you had a bigger business? Maybe you were doing 20 and 30 million. I'm not exactly sure where you were before, but you decided to scale down mm-hmm. and, and build what kind of product you wanted to build. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, the, um, the biggest benefit is having, we've got a small team, people that we've got a good culture, you know, people we really enjoy being around and working with, which is, which is important. We've got really good lifestyle at this point, which was not the case, um, in my earlier years, you know, it was, Oh, I, I remember seeing you a few times at, uh, at the, <laughs> at, the at the local bar, grabbing Look, a beer and, looking a little stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Looking a little <laughs> ragged and, uh, you know, uh, for you anyways, um, yeah, uh, but it, it makes sense. Well, and now now we get to do other cool stuff like like the podcast and you know some other stuff that's fun for me. Yeah, um, we get to run our our company on kind of a real uh, um, where it's a lot more stable. You know, right? Well, you're you're kind of a 
the takeaway from this is you're you're giving back a lot to the community and you have along the way and i don't know that a lot of your listeners realize that you've mentored other builders along the way um and uh kind of started being a consultant to them without really thinking about it um can you tell us a little bit about that yeah i mean i think that probably comes from just the nature of how i started i started more with um you know a business background and then a financial background and uh i understood well that side of the business and uh um my weakness coming into it was the construction side and it's probably oftentimes the, the opposite you know a lot of a lot of builders come in where they're strong on construction and but maybe don't have a, a tremendous business background so a lot of guys started coming to me pretty early in my career just when they were struggling with different business issues and topics on whatever um and uh so i just kind of um out of out of uh out of the knowledge that I that I had tried to do my best to share some of those ideas with them, um, it's a hard enough business to where I feel like it's uh, it's our duty to help out our fellow <laughs> our fellow builders. Well, you also have an abundance mentality, so while you might be helping a potential competitor, you never saw it that way. Yeah, I, I'm, we've got a we've got a lot of uh, not everywhere, but we do have a lot of that kind of keep your cards close to your vest mentality with builders. And, okay. uh, I think it's actually a pretty silly mentality. I've got a few friends who are like that. And, uh, truth is it's, it's a commodity business. Nobody really has any real proprietary information in my opinion that no one else, that someone else can't truly figure out. We're not, we're not Coca-Cola hiding the recipe. Right. <laughs> so, it, you know, I think it's, it's actually a lot more beneficial for everybody to have a, have a group of other ethical builders, you know, eth ethical being the, the key here to where you yeah. can discuss things in confidence and, uh, and improve your business model and confidence. And we've, we've got that here. I've got a few friends and colleagues in Austin that were technically competitors and, and now we don't share every single detail of our business, but we probably share a lot, uh, that, that people, you know, don't ordinarily share. And I think it's for everybody's benefit to be, to be honest, I can tell you that it definitely is not hurting any of us. Yeah. I mean, if, if anything else, um, I think if you're sharing everything, especially with the podcast and the blog, it seems like you almost elevate yourself around your competitors. If, if somebody's trying to decide who to go with as a builder and they realize, oh, well, Jared's over here sharing everything he does in his business and uh, these other builders are, are not, it sounds like that would be. Uh, might even play a factor in the hey he's it's a bit of transparency and and I noticed that in the in the marketing space that things are getting more transparent because it's so easy to research prices and and kind of what things are worth and all the true costs that you might as well be transparent up front and you're going to earn that customer loyalty uh that way at least I I experienced it in marketing uh, different uh, products and services online. I'm sure you experienced it on, on the builder side as well. Uh, anyways, just went off on a tangent. Yeah, um, I think I think you're you're right on. And and listen, I'm not saying that you open your books to the whole oh, world. Oh, absolutely, no, no, no. We're not talking. For the record, we're not talking about you know. Oh, here's uh here's my QuickBooks and here's what's going on <laughs> in my business and right. you know how much we spend on everything. We're just kind of the 
high level and, and even mid level um, um, what could be considered trade secrets, which uh, to your point, Jared, are not necessarily secrets. I mean, there's only so many ways to do the same thing, but it, it's a matter of who's most efficient at it. It's kind of when I look at, um, you know, if you ever watch the Olympics, a little bit of a metaphor, um, if you look at like the rowing competitions, that's like the, the big eight man uh, or eight person uh, rowboats and they're all doing the exact same thing, but it's the minute changes that separates the the gold medalist from the team that is 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 really far behind. And, and I think that's kind of where you excel is that you've got everything fine tuned in your business at this at this point in your career. Uh, so you're able to excel while others uh, may not be able to for slight inefficiencies that, in, that that you don't mind helping them out with. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. The, the we don't have the trade secrets that we that we think. Again, there's there's certain things maybe we want to keep to ourselves. But I, I remember asking one of my builder buddies a, a few years ago, we we needed to replace. I, I can't remember what. Let's just say it's a plumber. Yeah, uh -huh. and it, we needed to find a new plumber and. You know, I asked him and he's kind of laughing and say, not, you know, I, I'm not going to share with you my, my plumber. Cause you know, then you're going to take him. He's going to, he's going to run off to you, to your job site. Uh, and it's gonna be harder for me to get him on site. And, and <laughs> I, we were laughing about it, but I told him, I said, listen, if I, if I want your plumber, I'll send somebody over to camp out on yeah. your job site <laughs> and read the number off of their truck. Whenever he pulls up, like it's not a secret, not you know, so, yeah. so we're, they're, they're pretty thinly veiled secrets that we think right, that we're keeping right. in this business. It's, it's hard to put a giant curtain over a, a job site. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of value that we can bring as builders. Um, and, and rarely it has to do with some sort of proprietary. Yeah. Well, I also, and I've seen this in, in different spaces within marketing, you can almost, you can also almost build a little bit of your own syndicate in your local market. If you and other builders get together and, yeah. and decide to be go above, above and beyond on, on, on disclosure and transparency and ethics and in the market and they yeah. realize, Oh, well, these, these five builders customers start to realize oh these are kind of the cream of the crop and everybody else is cutting corners and a bit of it, it becomes a little bit of branding and a perception and in the long run it seems like it actually helps you a lot more yeah and then so getting back to you giving back to the community and helping people out um i heard one of your stories just kind of off off the mic which i found very interesting in that you helped a uh, now friend who at the time was literally just making a, was it a lumber delivery to your job it site? It was a lumber delivery. He yeah. was the delivery guy delivering lumber. And he basically worked himself up to going up to you and saying, hey, I want to do what you do. And despite the fact that he was just delivering lumber, you just treated him as if, oh yeah, well you can do this too. And, um, and he's now a very successful builder, uh, and you played a big part in that, which I find really cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, him and uh, kind of that storyline and, and, and timeline a little bit? I think that's really cool. And I know you've done this with multiple people, but this one just stuck out because <laughs> he went from delivery guy to, yeah. to builder who has uh, he, you know multiple projects and even has his own uh, assets he's held down to along the way. Yeah, no, he he's a he's a hustling kid, or he was. I guess he's not so much kid anymore. But yeah, yeah this was probably I guess seven years ago now, if if memory serves me right. But he uh, he was making a delivery onto a 
a job site for us and he'd seen i think a few of our homes and had done some stuff for us and uh he was wanting to wanting to move up in life he'd always been passionate about construction and cool he came up and started asking me how to uh what are the what are the moves he should make to start his own business and anyway i, I was uh i was pretty taken by his initiative and his uh his drive so i I helped him, gave him a few, few tips, ideas along the way. He actually ended up coming and working, uh, for us for a while. And luckily, um, uh, has been able to start his own business and along, along that journey, he's grown it a lot. Uh, and it's been fun to kind of watch him, watch him do that. Uh, and yeah. And I guess most importantly, he actually took action on <laughs> what yeah, you taught yeah. him. Yeah, he actually, he, he took action and, uh, and he's done amazingly well. Very cool. And, and, um, it sounds like that's a very gratifying part of what you do is, is giving back and, uh, we keep coming back to that. Um, is this something, uh, I know we've talked about, I'm <laughs> for, kind of letting the cat out of the bag a little bit i'm trying to convince jared to do this more often and actually mentor more builders because i think he's he's able to help a lot of people um and uh i'm trying to get here on the record jared are, are you open to that or <laughs> yeah, i no, i am I've, we've done it before uh we've definitely done it with i don't know probably probably a dozen uh dozen different builders and developers and investors over over the years have helped people that's great yeah um, is there anything else that your viewers should know about you or oh, <laughs> you want to share or, uh, what's been the Good. most fun part about running the podcast? Um, yeah, I think that may go back to our conversation about, you know, not necessarily guarding, not necessarily guarding secrets. I mean, uh -huh. I think that, um, this is a business where we live and die based on quality of, of information and education we have and how we can apply that and take action on it and it's not that easy to get a really accessible education and information high quality information which has really been my goal with this podcast and the idea is that if we can uh if we can have a conversation together rather than everybody go about their business just you know in a vacuum then we could probably all all benefit mutually benefit and that's that's been the goal to this day it continues to be the goal. That's great. So, um, I think I want to wrap it up, uh, as far as this conversation goes, I just wanted to give a quick timeline of your business. We will, we'll come back and dig into, uh, some of these, uh, uh, different aspects of the business a little later at a more technical standpoint. Um, where can people find you if this is their first time listening? Do you, you know, follow Instagram, Facebook, uh, yeah. give your website, that sort of thing. So that people can give their email to get updated, Yep. Um, but so the podcast is the podcast's website is buildingoptimal.com. We're also, you know, uh, we post a lot on Instagram. That's kind of our primary social media channel. So uh, it's just our name, Building Optimal, on Instagram. Um, so cool. keep everybody up to date on those places. My home building company is called Gosset. So my last name, G O S S E T T Co. It's Gosset and Company, but the website is gossetco.com. So there you can find a little bit about our uh, home building company. Great. And um, can people contact you on Instagram? I, yeah. Actually, I've got, oh, yeah. I'm going to encourage you guys to actually send uh, 
uh, a little bit of feedback, uh, both on Jared and myself and any kind of burning questions you have or uh, kind of items we can address in, in future podcasts would be tell, really tell helpful, us we, I imagine. Tell us we suck and get off the air. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fine, too. I mean, I, I, I think at least my mom will listen, I, I, you know, so we'll get we'll get a handful of followers uh, listening to this <laughs> recording. Yeah, Miss Guerra will go up and yeah, go up exactly. Uh, she uh, she didn't speak much English, but um, she'll still listen. That's how dedicated she is. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my first time uh, doing this, and I've had a lot of fun. And uh, I yeah. just want to thank you. You're, uh, you're a good interviewer, man. Um, uh, enjoyed Not it bad. a lot. And uh, thanks to, to everybody uh, listening. And uh, we hope to see you again on the podcast. Uh, Jared, any, any final thoughts? No, no. Reach out to us like Jose Luis says. Um, I always, always like hearing feedback on, on what y'all want to hear, what, uh, what we're doing right, just as importantly, if not more, what we're doing wrong. Um, and yeah, that way we can continue to make this thing better. Great. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you.